This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Taylor on from Sterling, and our topic today is the very real future of digital identity. Um, I can't wait to talk to Taylor about this. Let's do some introductions. Taylor, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and Sterling? Yeah, good morning, William. Thank you so much for having me on. So my name is Taylor Liggett. I am the general manager of Sterling Identity. So essentially, I oversee all of uh, Sterling's identity services, uh, both in the U.S. and globally, things like fingerprinting, biometrics, identity verification, digital wallet, so on and so forth. Uh, Sterling is a world leader in the background screening and identity space. Uh, been around for for quite a while. We currently service about fifty thousand customers uh, and offer our services uh, throughout the world. And I was right to call it Sterling, not Sterling Background, right? Or that's we we've rebranded it just to Sterling, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think technically we are called Sterling Check, uh, but right. uh, certainly we are we are known as, uh, as no yeah, Sterling. It's easier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to talk about the future of digital identity. But where are we currently? Like, what's the state when you look down at your customers? Like, how do they think about identity or digital identity? Ver- you know, verifying one's identity. How do they currently think of it? Yeah, it's a great place to start. So, I'm going to give kind of two answers here. One is, I think the world in general is in a really um, Uh, fast moving space with respect to identity verification, you know, for Mm. so, for so long, we've operated in essentially an analog capacity, right? We have driver's licenses in our wallets, we have passports, and those are used traditionally to verify our identity. Uh, But in today's world, when so much is happening digitally, uh, we're working remotely, more and more is happening online that just doesn't work. So this move to digital identity is is way broader than the employment space. Um, but with what we're seeing is um, there's a there's there's really a huge gap, as I would define it, within uh, the employment space, and then also just within uh, customers, uh, employers, rather's understanding of what is and isn't happening. So you know, current state. The vast majority of employers, certainly in the U.S., this differs a little bit by country. Some countries have different regulations, but the vast majority of employers, by and large, they don't do any type of uh, identity verification in the pre-employment phase. And it's it's sort of a problem that's further compounded by a misunderstanding of what does and doesn't happen during the background screening process itself. So take us, just deconstruct that for just a second. What, what? What does happen and what doesn't happen in the typical background screening check? Sure. So think about it like this. The vast majority of screening checks operate uh, in the following manner. An applicant or candidate in one way or another is sent a request to engage in a background screening. This can happen through many different uh, mechanisms, but one way or another, 
that candidate knows they're going to go through a background screen and they provide their information for that background screen. So, you know, you come in, you say, my name's John Smith. My date of birth is such and such. My social security number is such and such. My address is this. And those are sort of the four components that are used within a background screen. Name, date of birth, social, and address. That information is then, if, if it's not directly collected by the background screening company, it's passed from the employer to the background screening company. And that is then used to conduct the background check. Now, what occurs in that process is sort of twofold. One, a background check company like Sterling is going to take that information and uh, do, you know, certainly try and locate additional information. So we may take the social security number and run what's called a trace on it to try and mm -hmm. find previously used names and addresses. You know, and then off of that, we're going to search criminal court records. We're going to search, you know, sort of whatever type of check we're conducting. And then we're going to gather that information and report it back. But before reporting it back to the employer, we're going to have to verify that any information found actually matches the biographic data that the candidate provided. So two things can happen here when you don't have identity verification in place. One is you might get incorrect information, and we'll talk right. about that more in a bit, right? But you might get incorrect information, and that may hamper just the ability to even find uh, information out there. But two, even if you find information out there, if it doesn't match the information um, provided, then we are legally unable to report that out. You know, so that's really the why why identity verification cuts at the heart of what background checks do. So one of the things that you mentioned is the different types of screens. Obviously, a customer can then select the different type based on the position, based on whatever they're looking for, uh, pre-employment wise. Um, take us because because I, I you know like can they verify degrees? Uh, and where schools are, can, can they obviously criminal background check makes sense? Can they do credit checks? Like what? What's the array? You know, as best you can. What's the array of the different types of screens that they can look at? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a lot candidly nowadays because right. to meet the needs of you know every different sort of industry out there is a whole bunch of stuff. But just name kind of some of the the main ones that might happen. I mean, criminal checks are of course ubiquitous and very very typical. Uh, you might also have motor vehicle record checks, for example, oh, cool. someone driving for a position. You know, right. make sure they're they're a safe driver. Uh, you may you may have credit checks. There's kind of been a reining in of that to make sure it's applicable to the to the position. So perhaps right. I'm gambling money, whatever, but certainly credit credit checks or financial checks could exist. Um, sex offender checks, maybe you're working with a population you need to be particularly conscious of that with. Uh, there can be um, uh, sort of sanctions related checks uh, that can occur. Um, those are some of the, the main ones I guess we get into. You right. also see uh, drug testing and such. A lot has changed in that space, of course, recently, but right. um, th those are some of the main categories, I would say. So, so one of the things that, that I think you and I have talked about uh, before is most people, when they think of screens, they've, they've historically put it in pre-employment yeah. and they, they haven't thought of kind of a continuous or something that happens after, you know, like, oh, that sounds great. Let's say that we did all four of those things, uh, sex offender, criminal credit, you know, the whole bit, we did the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, two months into one's tenure, um, you know, someone gets someone gets arrested for a major felony. We won't even get into what, but just a major felony. It's my understanding that that they don't the the, the employee doesn't necessarily have to disclose that. Is that? I yeah, mean, I, 
Maybe yeah, not a hard so and fast rule, but go ahead. No, look, you're you're hitting on something that I think is is really important. So, you know, ed, individual companies are going to kind of have their own policies about right. distinguisher and so on. But but what you're hitting on um, to me is kind of two of the the craziest things relative to our whole conversation, kind of two of the craziest things about this whole process. So as we were just talking about, it's very rare you're actually confirming that the person you're checking is the person who they say they are. So that, <laughs> right. that, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's insane. Yes, and then secondly, it. you jump through all of the, you know, you do all of this upfront pre-employment checking, whatever that may look like. And then you hire the person and you just trust they're good throughout the entire time <laughs> people work for, you know, so it's, that's also kind of crazy to, um, to consider. Yes. Well, even even in the instance that you said with the the motor vehicles, like okay, they're going to be a driver, fantastic. They work for Amazon, all good stuff. We do the pre employment stuff, makes sense, and <laughs> and we don't monitor their their the DMV record. Like we don't. What <laughs> that just seems crazy to me. Yeah, it does, and I mean, it's certainly, I also don't want to overstate this. I mean, certainly there are employers who do do this like you know right, they, like, of course continuous monitoring is a thing there there are certainly employers who um will have regular occurrences of motor vehicle record checks or whatever but it's but it's definitely in the minority um as is identity verification right we're talking about things that uh you know exist but that most employers don't have as regular practices so the the first part of crazy uh which is really the the most fascinating is the uh you are you Okay, so you know you can go online and uh, and apply to a job and go through this whole process. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's you. In fact, I, I, a buddy of mine started a company called JobSurf years ago, where he had a uh, hundred people in India that would apply for jobs for uh, for their for their clients for their for their folks, right? But they would do all the pre work. So, so, so they would go and apply and do all that stuff. Now they won't do the interviews or anything like that, but they would do all the application stuff, which I found fascinating and in a lot of ways, but the, the, you are you part of crazy that we just talked about. How do we, how do we, how do we, a, how do we unpack that? uh, And B, how do you see that changing over the next couple of years? Yeah. So let me, let me try and unpack it a little bit more because you're, examples really spot on and in line with a lot of what we're we're seeing so when we when we first released our solution which was really the first you know at scale identity verification pre-employment solution in the u.s we, we released that earlier this year um i expected certainly to see uh the the folks that would come in with incorrect data they threw off their date of birth or ssn purposefully or accidentally i expect to see a lot of that what I've been really surprised at seeing is is some of what you're getting into, or, or sister, which is just completely different people that are um, that are that are fulfilling different parts of this pre-employment journey. So you have stuff like what you just said, where right. someone's helping application. You do now have stuff with other people interviewing on behalf of other people. So we hear from oh, employers wow. that they're they're interviewing one person. And another person shows up to work or they're interviewing one person, another person background checks, another person shows up for work. We're in a very crazy age. And part of this was um, in or I should just say in large part, this was really accelerated by COVID. Right. The move, the move to remote work. And another thing that happened, it's not just, you know, it's easy to kind of say remote work and people start acting like this. And there's certainly a portion of that. But the other thing that occurred 
is in in the wake of COVID, if you think of like some of the government assistance programs or just like think of unemployment, think of the PPE loans, et cetera, um, there were huge that that was some folks called the Super Bowl of fraud because there was right. a huge purse attached to I'm going to go grab William Pincup's information. I'm going to say I was him. I'm unemployed now and I could get, you know, whatever that is, 10,000 bucks or whatever. Um, and so what you had is you had actual like criminal enterprises that invested heavily into this, that invested heavily into getting PII and deploying it for these purposes. And so that runs through. They make a ton of money. The FBI says it's, uh, you know, the greatest uh, fraud that's, that's happened in our country. It'll take them 10 years to even just get to the to the bottom of, of starting to sort of prosecute a lot of this. But now they're looking to repurpose that. And employment's a great target vector. So you also are seeing beyond individual people who are just trying to get jobs and maybe obscure something they don't want to share their past or whatever, or maybe they're not qualified for the job. We see that. But we're also seeing something more nefarious where it is uh, sort of real bad actors that are that are using identity fraud to get into a place to then gain access to their systems, proprietary information, et cetera, to further nefarious schemes, so to speak. Yeah, it gets in uh, corporate espionage or, or other types of things they could just they could get in get in and and start sourcing talent i mean i can see or i could i could see a business case probably a netflix movie uh <laughs> a, a recruiter basically doing this to then get in and get access to talent and be able to to flip that talent the the uru part which i think the audience is going to find fascinating is that verification of who that person is, and again, past a resume, past a LinkedIn profile, et cetera, that, you know, Bobby is really Bobby. And Bobby, yep. whether or not Bobby lives in Topeka or, or is remote or hybrid or what, any of that stuff, but we can say for sure that Bobby is Bobby. How, how do you see that? First of all, like for your clients, you're educating them because this is, this is, they didn't come out of Sherm, they didn't come out of their, their bachelor's in HR thinking this thought, but you brought up fraud in a big way because I was going to bring it up as well, but getting their mindsets over to understanding that this is a kind of continuous process of making sure that we understand it. Bobby is Bobby, Janet's Janet, et cetera, et cetera. So how do, how do you kind of move their minds over to understanding identity verification and kind of the relentless pursuit of the you or you? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Uh, so there's two things here. I mean, we've 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 focused kind of heavily so far on the the fraud aspect, which is real, and we need to address and, and right. so on. Um, but there's also there's also a huge upside here in terms of candidate experience and efficiency of process. That I that, that proper digital identity incorporation uh, into this can help with. So let me let me talk you through a little bit on that. So. Once um, you use, once you go through a, the the right type of digital identity verification, so William Tincup comes into Sterling, you apply for a job, we verify, we know William's William, uh, and we give you control over your identity, so to speak. In other words, that's persisted, and now you have control over that, and it can move with you beyond just that that Sterling application. That's really at the heart of what we're working on. Right. Then you know it doesn't just stop with that. You mentioned earlier, like verification of education. Uh, you know, that's another huge thing I didn't mention earlier, but, you know, verifying education, verifying employment, verifying references, things like that. 
Uh, but think of, you know, that's immutable data. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't change. If you have a college degree, that doesn't just go away someday. It, it doesn't change in any capacity. And so why should that have to be re-verified every single time you go to a new employer? And when you get this right and you can say that someone is who they say they are, and then you can start to give that person control over their own information, maybe it's degree, work history, uh, whatever, the certifications, what have you, uh, then as they may move on to their next uh, process, you, you start getting closer and closer to, to having folks that are kind of pre-credentialed. They can assist heavily with recruiting um, and, uh, you know, streamlining candidate onboarding. You know, one of the things we're seeing now is um, we're seeing a more significant percentage of candidates come in as pre-verified. In other words, they've already gone through the identity verification process uh, elsewhere and they're coming into Sterling and now they just log in they consent to share their information. It's privacy preserving, so they know exactly what information they're sharing. And uh, that information automatically imports into our system and they're off to the races. It's a great experience and they're, they're on very quickly. So, you know, there's a lot of upside here when it's done correctly to the candidate and to the employer um, and to the overall process. So I think that's another piece that's important for, for employers to understand. Well, it's, it's in some ways, anybody that does a lot of business travel, this is the known traveler number. Like, this is the reason you have TSA, this is clear, any of those types of things. It's like, okay, you know, it's really easy to now be portable. Uh, and I want to ask you about that in, in a second. But, you know, I don't have to go to every airport and prove. <laughs> I, I literally put my fingerprint down and my, have my ID on me and it, okay, you're done. Like it's, it's easy. And I, I think people get it if they think about it from a traveling perspective. Um, but what you, what you mentioned in terms of the portability, um, do you all have that? Cause I'm, I, of course, squarely Gen X, I'm thinking that's a, like a suitcase that they take can take with them from job to job or within the company. Uh, from from internal mobility wise, um, what do you what are y'all calling that? What is that? What is that thing called? Yeah, I mean, uh, so it's it's referred to in different things. I think I tend to refer to it as a digital wallet or an identity wallet, and nice. um, you know, I th you can think about it kind of like your real wallet, right? Like, what do you have in your real wallet? You have an ID, you may have an insurance card, you may have a business card, you may have credit cards, whatever. Um, you know, similarly with your your digital wallet, your digital wallet, just of course, because it's digital and you're not limited, you know, you don't want to stands a wallet or, or whatever, like you you can have a lot of things uh, within there. Uh, so I think it's, it's broadly referred to as a digital wallet or an identity wallet. Uh, and and I, I couldn't agree more with you on the travel um, comparison, because I think that is an easier way for people to digest. And I think a lot of people have used pre-check or have used clear. Right. And, you know, you can imagine the chaos if every time you had to walk through the airport, it, well, <laughs> I guess, I guess we can, because you look at the lines that aren't pre-check yes. and clear and so yeah. you sort of see how that goes. Um, and this is arguably even worse because it's, it, there's more that has to, it's not just looking at an idea, it's collecting information. There's more that goes into this. Um, and Clear is actually a great example of a digital identity network where you come in, you give some information, you give your fingerprints, you know, et cetera, and then that streamlines every engagement past that point. We're doing a very similar thing uh, in our case in partnership with IDME uh, for, the, for the employment sector and, and related. So dumb question alert. Um, can I see my a digital wallet i mean can like and i'm thinking about the screens in particular because yeah. like like credit check like i can go and run a credit check on myself and i can see okay what you know the good the bad the ugly whatever i could probably do that with the dmv on some level 
but but like like I might not know that there's you know maybe they're not felonies, but I might not know that there's certain things on my criminal record that that shouldn't be there or or whatever. Like, do you have do you have do you have customers that maybe have candidates or employees that want to see on some level want to have some visibility into their digital wallet? Yeah, so I, I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. Um, one is I believe that for any digital wallet solution like this to work, there has to be complete transparency. And I mean complete transparency. You as the individual should have the ability to see every single thing that exists in there. You should be able to see uh, you know, what information was shared, whom it was shared with. That should never even happen unless you're specifically consenting to it. You should be able to uh, revoke consent after the fact. You should be able to completely remove all of your information if at some point you decide, you know what, I just don't, I don't want it there. Um, you should be able to do that, right? So this is also a complete revolution from a privacy standpoint, um, you know, in the wake of how out of control data has gotten with the likes of Facebook and so on. Um, this is a movement to put people in control of their information and, and have privacy preserving principles wrapped around that. So that's sort of... Um, you know, the the point number one on that, I think to the to the other piece you were getting at around do individuals actually want to have some insight into this? I mean, you brought up another great comparison. People commonly check their credit, right? And they say, uh, does this look right or is something wrong on here? Do I need to dispute it? People don't commonly check their criminal history. So there's <laughs> two things that can happen. Um, you, if you go through a background check with any company, you have a right under the Fair Credit Reporting Act to request a copy of that check. So if an employer does something on you, you can contact the background check company like Sterling and request a copy and we will send you exactly what the employer saw every single thing. Yeah. So that's, that's point number one. Point number two is um, another thing most people don't realize, you can actually get an FBI background check on yourself. Um, so it's something called a departmental order. Uh, Sterling offers this as an FBI channeler. Uh, other companies do as well. You can go and sign up, you provide your information, um, you pay a fee, you go into a location that does fingerprinting, uh, and uh, in our case, that's with the UPS store. You go in there, you fingerprint, and literally within like an hour or two, you can have a copy of exactly everything the FBI has on you. And you could use that for an assessment of, you know, is everything accurate? Oh, I love that. You you mentioned credentialing earlier. I want to get back to that. Do you do you do you see again? We're talking about the future. Do you see a, a part of this digital wallet and getting credentials verified as a part of their uh, resume, LinkedIn profile, etc.? Like the way that they apply to jobs is there carrying in the wallet that's already you know it makes it easier uh, for a lot of folks to be able to just say, yeah, this has all been. You know, this has all been, these things have been verified. Like, how do you see that? How do you see that the, how do you see that actually playing out? Yeah, look, I think the implications for um, recruiting, for candidates applying for jobs, for you know, job boards, all that type of stuff, I think are, are incredible. Because when you consider and you sort of fast forward on this and folks now have verified credentials about themselves, remember their LinkedIn profile has verified check marks next to things. Um you know, this, this had huge implications and I think very positive ones. Uh, you know, if you consider from a candidate standpoint, you can, you can stand out. 
um, so to speak. Uh, from an employer standpoint, you can more quickly onboard. You know, recruiters and so on are going to understand far further upfront. Uh, you know, who is and isn't qualified uh, to, to reduce any type of time that might be wasted to better source candidates that might be interested in a position. Um, you have other segments, for example, maybe I'm a veteran or what have you, and that might be of interest. That's been verified. So I think it's got some really exciting um, innovations that, that will come along with this for, for where you're getting at. So last question, it's, it's uh, the audience now listening to this is probably now thinking about, okay, now the next time they're in a conversation, um, what are the questions that they should be asking, especially around digital identity? What are the questions that they should be asking of Sterling, uh, you know, in the sales process, uh, especially as prospects? Like what it, it changes now. I mean, it's completely changed since, since when I when I, I did background screening. But but I mean, it's completely changed with digital identity and identification. But maybe I want to I want to, to kind of educate them as to like what questions should they have in their arsenal? Yeah, I think look, I think employers, it's, it's a great way to end this, because I think employers, whether they're talking with Sterling or any other uh, background check company, they should be asking explicitly what is being done? What can I do from an identity verification standpoint? What tools do you offer uh, that support this and how do those work? Uh, I think it's very important. Employers are starting to get wiser around this. They're starting to ask those type of questions. And, um, you know, the other thing I'd say is that similar to how background checks, one size doesn't fit all, right? You may background check an executive differently than, than an entry-level worker, for example. Uh, identity verification is also not necessarily one size fits all. You know, the standard that you are going to put in place for, I don't know, a high-level defense contractor or for, um, you know, access to the IRS or whatever is going to sort of be one standard. It's going to have more friction involved because the person is going to have to do more things to prove that they are who they say they are. Uh, you may scale that down where there's less risk involved in certain positions. And so employers should also be asking, what type of options do I have within this space? And then the final thing I'd, I'd just say on that is that it's really important from an equality and access standpoint. To do this right, you have to account for every scenario, including the person that doesn't know how to use technology. So what are you doing there? How can tools work for, for persons who um, might not be in credit files or who you know, might be disadvantaged in another way? Those are, those are the, the things I think that can help employers make the right decisions about what to do. I love it. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Taylor, for your time and wisdom. Really appreciate you having me on, William. Pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.